Well, welcome to what we're calling Vision Morning. Uh, it's my hope that as we leave this place this morning, that we have a glimpse of what God is calling us to as a church. We're going to be in Luke 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them uh, to the book of Luke, chapter 10. While you're getting there, I'm going to ask if you could use your imaginations for a moment. I want you to imagine a field, okay, a field. Uh, It's your goal for this field that it be healthy. You want to see it have a vibrant soil, that the, the, it's fertile, that, that it's a, a, a field where, where things can grow, that it's a fertile, that it's fertile soil. Um, now, if any of you have farmer backgrounds, you know that you don't need to have farmer backgrounds to know this, but one of the ways you do that is through fertilizing that field. And one of the most uh, efficient, most effective ways to do that is through uh, manure, right? Um, we have a picture of that that gives you the <laughs> glimpse. Uh, so manure. So um, what you do is you take a pile of manure. I'm going somewhere, trust me. Um, you take a pile of manure and you spread it over your field. When you do that, it, it, it causes the soil in that field to become rich. It, it causes it to become fertile. You cover the field. The results of it are, are incredible. Now, what would happen if you just took the pile of manure and left it like that? Just left it in a heaping pile in the corner of the field. What would happen? Well, what would happen is a couple things. Uh, one, it would smell awful. It would just be rancid. It would be so gross. Uh, two, it would, it would kill the soil and the seed under it. And number three, it would do nothing for the field. It would be a heaping pile of manure in the corner of a field, and it would do nothing to benefit the field other than cause a rather interesting smell. Um, I'm going somewhere. Um, the manure is meant to be piled up and spread. Piled up and then spread. Piled up and then spread. In church, I never thought I would say this, but we are a lot like manure. We are a lot like manure. We are, we are beautiful and effective when we are piled up and spread. Piled up and then spread. We fertilize the entire field. But when we aren't spread, when we just stay like that, piled up, we stink We kill the soil beneath us, and we do nothing for our field or our community. Um, I don't usually start by calling our church manure, so I apologize. If you're a guest with us, awesome. I'm sorry. Um, Hopefully, it'll make sense. But here's what I want us to do. We're about to look at Luke 10, and I want us to do that with this in mind. Okay, so as we look through Luke 10, uh, my encouragement is for us to intentionally fight every tendency and urge that we may have to be that, to be the pile in the corner, to fight it with everything we have, because that's what our tendency is going to be, and to ask the question, God, what would it look like if we as a church, if we as a, a, a church allowed ourselves to be spread in order to fertilize the field? So that's the question. That's what I want us to have in our mind as we approach Luke uh, chapter 10. So let's look at Luke 10. The first two words he begins with is after this, after this. Um, This is a good indication 
that we need to look at what came before it. And so I just want to, we're stepping into a bit of a, a story this morning. So what's happening is Jesus is on his way um, toward Jerusalem with his disciples. All along the way, he's teaching them. All along the way, they're having conversations together. One of, if you look at chapter 9, one of the most prominent things that you see in chapter 9 is, is this sense that Jesus says, there is going to be a cost to following me. There is going to be a cost to follow me. Verse uh, 23 says, if you want to follow me, if you, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, take it up daily. The end of chapter 9, right before our text, uh, they, he paints a clear picture of the cost of following him, and he says, follow me. And they say, well, let me go home and you know, take care of things first. Jesus says, follow me. And he said, well, let me go back and tell my friends, tell my family goodbye first. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Follow me. And so hear me right off the bat. I want to say something, uh, one clarification. You are are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. It's it's unearned. It's unassisted. It is the gift of God through the Son. Um, That grace is free. However, discipleship is costly, Discipleship is costly. Bonhoeffer, in, in his famous book called Cost of Discipleship, kind of has a quote based on Luke 9. It says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, meaning take up your cross, the instrument of execution, take it up and follow me. Which, by the way, if we want to push further, this is a message we need to hear as a church not just here, but as the American church in general, as, as the church. Because often our message can be when we share the gospel with someone is, come to Jesus and things are going to be pretty good. Life is going to be awesome. That promotion, it has a better chance of happening now. Like People are going to like you now. Um, your relationships are going to be so much better now that you know Jesus. Uh, that, that promotion, that, that healing, that you're, all of these things are kind of going to go away when you come to Jesus because he loves you. That is not and has never been the gospel message. It has never been the gospel message. Jesus says, in this world, you will face trouble. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Um, the message that we should be communicating is not you are guaranteed a problem-free, trouble-free life. The message that we get to communicate is you're guaranteed Jesus. You are guaranteed Christ, Christ in it all, Christ through it all, Christ in you. You are guaranteed never to be alone. You are guaranteed to be empowered by the Spirit of God. That's what we are guaranteed. And that is the beauty, the power of the gospel, that we are, God saved you by his grace through the work, through the person of Jesus, and that we get the most incredible opportunity in the world. And that's to follow our Savior, to be a child of God, to die to ourselves, but to live forever as a child of God. And so our text, chapter 10, um, says after this. So after Jesus has just, uh, just urged his followers to follow him, regardless of the cost, we step into verse 10, or chapter 10, and he says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him, ahead of him two by two 
into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So two by two, uh, you got strength, encouragement, accountability. He sends them out. He sends them out two by two out ahead. He doesn't send them alone, and he sends them out ahead into the towns that he's about to come to. So they're in a, in a sense preparing the way for for him. And then he says, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into, this, into his harvest. So the harvest is plentiful. In other words, God is doing something. God is, is turning people's hearts to him. God is in the middle of doing something, and he's saying the harvest is great. There are thousands and thousands, families, men, women, children who do not know me. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Uh, in our story, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands in the harvest, yet 72 are going. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, church, this is extremely applicable to us because our harvest is still great. There are, there are hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in our community who do not know Jesus right now who do not know Jesus, uh, men, women, moms, dads, children's co- children, college students, there are thousands of people who do not know Jesus right now, right in our community, in, in, our, in our gym, in our office, in our school, in our neighborhood, in our coffee shop, wherever you go that don't know the gospel. The harvest is great. Returning to our first analogy, our field is huge, <laughs> and needs some fertilizing, okay? Our field is great. But here's, Jesus says, but the workers are few. Here's the good news. I think we actually have a sufficient number of workers to work our field. I think we might actually, and we might be outnumbered, but I believe that if the church would step out, that we're more equipped than ever to be able to work this field. We have more than enough manure to cover our field. We have more than enough. Um, The question is, are you willing to spread? Are you willing to get out of the pile and to spread? Uh, My hope is that Jesus never says, the harvest was great, but the workers were piled in the corner. That's my hope. I think that might be a more accurate statement of where we find ourselves today. We have more than 72. We have more than 72 in this room. We have... The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, let me make a huge clarification before we go any further. I am not saying, hear me, not saying to stop piling up. This is not a call not to pile up. Um, We pile up in order to spread. We pile up in order to spread. And we do this again and again and again. The way we've chosen as a church to kind of articulate this, and we've said this from the beginning, it's kind of our our line is gather, scatter, multiply. Gather, scatter, multiply. So we gather big, we gather small, we come together, we pile up, okay? It doesn't end there though. Then we scatter. We scatter. We, we go out into our field. We spread into the harvest and it doesn't end there either. And we're going to talk about this this morning. We also multiply, Meaning that, that we do our very best to take piles of manure and put them in other fields 
so that they can then pile up and spread. So we gather, we scatter, we, we multiply. And for a moment, I want to just kind of practically put ourselves on the hook. Okay? Uh, how are we doing? So first of all, you're here today, which is awesome. I mean this. It is, it is awesome that you're here. This is a large part of what we do is we gather. We come together. Uh, I saw a recent stat this week that is not all that encouraging to pastors that approximately 75% of those who identify themselves as evangelical Christians will attend 12 or fewer church services or gatherings in a calendar year. That stinks. That's, that's, we don't gather. We don't do a good job gathering. Uh, and we believe, and this is sad because we believe gathering is vitally important. What we're doing now, what we did earlier, we believe that's vitally important to the church. We need community. We need our pile. In fact, we're going to be talking uh, next week. We start a brand new series in Ephesians. We're going to be walking through verse by verse through Ephesians. And as we do, one of the most prominent themes in this book, the most prominent theme is the church, the community, how it's so needed, how it's so necessary. It, It matters. Gathering matters. Luke 10, though, reminds us that it doesn't end there because scattering matters as well. Um, It can be really easy to become a church, for church to become the thing that we do on Sunday instead of the thing that we are daily. It can be really easy for us, for church to become just the thing that we do instead of the thing that we are. Um, If we aren't careful, it becomes kind of a weekend event. And what happens, going back to our analogy, is that's our pile. Like that, that, that's the pile that we're, that we're talking about. And we're, we're piled up in a field that needs to be fertilized. And it's our job. It's not as an organization, as a church to come up with programs to reach our community. That's all great. But this is on me and this is on you. Like this is on us as the church to go out into our neighborhoods, our jobs, our places where we have influence and to take our manure there. Uh, there are so many fields in Bahadar, Ethiopia, that need workers. There are so many fields um, where the piles of manure need to be spread. There are so many fields in our nation. Church, there are so many fields in our city. There are so many fields in our city and fields that we're not going to be able to reach in and of ourselves, but we can if we multiply. That we can take what God's doing here and, and multiply it. That we can see exponential gospel movement in our city. Here's the, here's the thing. We want to be a movement that is well beyond the seating capacity of our church. We want to be a movement that is well beyond the seating capacity of our church. So when we get close to 150, it starts to feel a little tight in this room. Um, we start to get a little tight on chairs. And um, how, how sad would it be if our vision was capped at our seating capacity? No matter how big our auditorium ever becomes, it's still puny if our vision is limited to how many we can seat. That's why we really believe that the health of our church is based more on our sending capacity than our seating capacity. We believe this from the bottom of our heart. 
Um, and this is why we are a church who will continually plant churches, who will continually plant churches, who will continually plant churches. Uh, this is why we, we started our community groups, which our booth back there, we started community groups within their DNA to multiply. Because we know that as God moves, it needs to multiply to different neighborhoods. To do, this is because we believe that we are called to gather, that we are called to scatter, that we are called to multiply. Um, going back to our text, Jesus says not the most encouraging thing. He says, go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound good. Um, he's wondering why his laborers are few. Sheep don't typically do well in that scenario, do they? Um, lambs in the midst of wolves. And so a follower of Jesus has, a question, uh, has to answer the question, do I follow Jesus? Do, am I obedient to be sent, to be called, knowing that there is potential persecution and danger for me? Or do I allow fear to cause me to cower? Do I allow fear to cause me to stay in my pile? And then we look down at verse 17. I want to see what happens to these 72. So we're going to fast forward. These 72 were sent out. Now let's read what happens when they come back. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan, this is Jesus, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So the sheep going out in the midst of the wolves wasn't as deadly as they thought, was it? The authority and power of Christ gave those lambs the power to stand up to the wolves. As Jesus says, to tread on serpents and scorpions, to have all authority over the enemy. And this means as, as we as God's people, we go out on mission, we should expect to engage in spiritual warfare. But hear me, when we engage in spiritual warfare as God's children, we have victory and power through Jesus Christ. Giving us boldness as we gather, giving us boldness as we scatter, and giving us boldness as we multiply. Fight our urge to be the mound, but with boldness, pile up and spread. And I want to end this. Jesus ends this passage that we're going to look at saying, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't, don't rejoice in that because there's something so much better, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven that our joy is found in the fact that we are his for eternity, that we are his. That's our joy. Now, I want to do something a little weird. Uh, we're a part of a movement that is, is bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. Uh, we are a part of something that God has been doing way before we arrived here. Uh, I want to give you a glimpse of what I'm talking about. How many like history? Good. I was hoping that was going to be the case. Um, or how many at least like to know that you're connected to something that is bigger than 2015? Like, that is me. I want to know that I'm tied to something. Well, what I want to do is first encourage you, buckle up. We're going to move fast. 
And I want to give you a glimpse of what I'm talking about this morning. And I promise, stay with me. I promise. I'm going to land the plane and it'll make sense. So follow me. So let's start at the beginning. This is months after our text this morning that we just read. This is six months. So in Luke 10, it's about six months before Jesus was, gave his life. So six months later, after what we just read, uh, Jesus gave his life, was crucified. He took uh, God's wrath towards sin, bearing my sin, shame. His life was given. Three days later, praise God, he rose. He conquered death, sin, the grave, giving us a victory through him. He ascends back into heaven. And we have this scene recorded for us in Matthew 28. As his disciples and witnesses looked on, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and know that I'm with you to the end of the age. He commissioned his people, and this is our starting point. Okay, we come to the starting line. We move from there through the book of Acts. The church begins to grow. It spreads. It faces persecution. Uh, but, they, but they continually point people back to God through the work of Jesus Christ. And churches are planted and planted and planted. We read in this book that the Holy Spirit falls on God's people. Both Jew and Gentile, the Holy Spirit falls, equipping them and empowering them to do all that he has called them to do. Both Jew and Gentile, the gospel spread. We read about churches being planted throughout the known world. The ministry of Paul, planting church after church, taking the gospel to community after community, field after field. Churches were planted. The gospel spread. The church continues to face opposition continues to be persecuted, but in the midst of that, it continues to grow and spread, and churches are planted and planted more and more throughout the known world. Um, because of this, and because God is a good God, the, Christian, the church became a prominent force in all of the Western world. It spread from, we have 72 in our passage, and it covered the, the known world at that time. We read that the Roman Empire made Christianity the state religion. That's a big turn of events. The empire that crucified its savior now calls it its state religion. Uh, we read that in our history books that, that Europe was radically Christianized. Between the 8th and the 12th century, Christianity begins to spread to Scandinavia. From Denmark, Norway to Sweden, churches were being planted. The church spread. Then, in the 16th century, the church was radically changed through what we call the Protestant Reformation. Uh, up to this point, the church was one. There was no Catholic, Protestant. It was one. And that was until a Catholic monk named Martin Luther steps in and forever changed the face of Christianity in the church. Um, he was guided, propelled by his desire for scripture to bring the church back to a right doctrine of what it means to be justified through faith alone. Uh, he, was, he was driven to bring the authority back, uh, the church's authority back under scripture and away from Pope. He was driven for it. He wanted to reform the church. The problem is the church did not want to be reformed. And that resulted in a massive 
conflict and it resulted in a split. On this side, you had Protestants. On this side, you had Roman Catholic and that divide remains to this, to this day. Uh, the Reformed movement created this new passion in the church to get back to the fundamentals of God's word to be able to hold it in our hands. It was driven for that. And listen, from the Reformation, every Protestant denomination can trace its its beginning. That's where it started. Led by men such as Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, the church began to reform back to Scripture. And over the course of the 16th century, all of Scandinavia was going through a reformation. Following the work of Luther, Fenway, Denmark, Sweden, all became predominantly Lutheran. The Lutheran movement thrived. Churches were planted. People began to grow in, in their faith in Jesus. More people will, were coming to know Jesus. However, something interesting happened to the Scandinavian Lutheran church in that time that, that dissatisfied a, a large group of its people. And that is this, that it became the state-governed religion. It became highly political in those times. It became under the authority of the government. And there was a sense of the church that was saying, that's not what we want. No longer was it a people who were just passionate about Christ and his word. It became, uh, it became a little dry as, as the history books point us to. But God began to stir, and there was a grassroots movement of, of, of people who wanted to see Scripture-centered, gospel-centered churches apart from the authority of the local government. And so they began to plant churches. At first, they did this within the church, but the state church didn't like this very much. And so they pressured them back to come back into the state church. Because of that pressure, these men and women decided to break off into what we call free church, the free church movement. Uh, they, they, they grew they planted church after church after church until finally a few of these men and women felt the call on their life to take what was going on and bring it to the new world, to America. And so they heard that call. They went with the, with the purpose of planting free churches, not tied to the state government, but tied to the authority of the scripture. And so they came. In 1884, they started their work. It grew. Churches and churches were being planted. Listen to this. 275 churches were planted in a period of 64 years. Massive growth spread here as they planted churches. And in 1950, all, they united to form what's called the Evangelical Free Church of America. They came together, or the EFCA, shortly after this movement continued to plant churches. It spread throughout the nation. Six years later, okay, six years later, it spread to our city, San Antonio, Texas. In 1956, Wayside Chapel was planted in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Wayside began to grow, and as they grew, they knew God was not done with them that they were called to plant. So a group of people in Wayside began to have a burden for a certain area of town, and that was the northeast corner of San Antonio. And following that burden, they decided, let's do it. And they stepped out 
And they went to this community and they planted a church. And in 1981, Northeast Bible Church was planted. God continued to move at Northeast. And yet again, he showed him, I'm not done. You're not done planting. They knew that they were called to plant. And in 2013, God gave them a heart for a certain area of San Antonio, North Central San Antonio. About that time, uh, Candace and I moved to San Antonio and he, God crossed our paths. We began to pray in 2014, build teams and listening to what God was doing. More than that, we began to see that God was bringing people who he was calling to this new work. In March of 2015, Stone Oak Bible Church was planted. <laughs> we are here today a part of a long line of faithful men and women who were not content with remaining in piles. That wasn't good enough for them, but instead who, who spread out over and over and over and over and over and over again, reaching new nations, reaching new cities, reaching new areas in our city. And this lineage, this movement, hear me church, will not end with us. It will not end with us. And God has blessed us and provided for us an opportunity that I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning. With that being said, I, I want to take a moment. I want to introduce you to someone. Mike and Ariel, would you guys come up here? Yeah, we can give them a hand. <laughs> now, I want to allow him, allow them to talk a little bit about their family. Before they do, um, Mike and Ariel are going to be our very first uh, church planter, pastor, in residence. That is a mouthful. We need an acronym for you, man. Um, first of many. That is a mouthful. We will explain what that means. But what's going to happen is he is going to join our staff for, and we'll talk about timeline here in a little bit, but around 18 months. Mike is a pastor. He's going to be here walking into our team, serving our church for the time that he's here. More than that, though, church, we are going to get to pour into them. We are going to get to pour into them as much as we can to see them launch. Well, our hope is that we send them out well. That we send them out well. We're going to talk about this, but to another area of San Antonio. Um, to be a church that brings glory to God and brings the gospel to people. Right? That's what we're here to do. Um, we're going to say more, but before we do... I wanted you guys to get the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your family and the adoption process potentially, and then what brought you guys, I know that's going to be hard, to San Antonio. Awesome, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you all um, for, for welcoming us. We're so excited to be here, and it's been quite the journey. We'll get to that in a moment. But as Justin said, I'm Mike, and this is my beautiful wife, Ariel, and we are both originally from the Chicago area, and I went to an actual uh, college that was affiliated with the Free Church, which is the denomination Justin was just talking about, called Trinity in the Chicago area, and then went on to seminary after that to get my, my master's. And um, through that process, I met Ariel, who was in nursing school, 
school, and we began dating and, and had noticed that we both have a very uh, similar heart for the gospel, for the church, for reaching people and reaching communities. And it wasn't long after um, my second or third year of seminary began that we um, began to realize God was calling us to the Northeast, to New England. And so we've been there for six years in Connecticut serving, where I was a pastor of students and young adults, and loved it there. Absolutely loved it there. And so grateful for the community that we were able to, to minister in and, and to be a part of, and the church that was there, the free church. And it was through that process and being there that we began to notice that, that God was uh, stirring in our hearts a desire for church planting. And um, it was in Connecticut uh, that we, our family began. Um, and we'll talk a little bit just uh, about our family. We've got a, a daughter who's three. Her name is Karis. And you'll probably hear her very soon. <laughs> she's, she's boisterous and super energetic and excited to be in Texas She'll because there's horses and pink ice cream in Texas. She's excited <laughs> about that. Um, and uh, we have a little girl named Taya who is one. And she is uh, super excited to be here, too. And, and um, as a family, we're just excited. And, and about it. A year ago, um, Ariel is going to explain kind of what God was, was showing us um, and, and talk a little bit about our adoption. Um, adoption has always been on our heart ever since we were dating. Even before we were together, we both had a passion for that and knew that God was calling to a, us to that at some point. And Teo was about six months last year, and I just really felt like I was hearing from the Lord that it was time for us to pursue that. But I thought, I wasn't sure if it was God or if it was me. So I was, I prayed and I said, Lord, if this is from you, then you're going to have to lay it on Michael's heart because otherwise he's going to think I've lost it. So uh, like two weeks later, he approached me and said he thought God, um, you know, was just really revealing to him that we should be pursuing adoption at that time. So, well, it was from God. So, um, so we did, and we are adopting a little girl from Uganda. She's two and a half. Um, her name is Shannon, and we're just waiting for a court date. All of our, you know, everything's ready to go. They filed for court last week. Uh, hopefully we'll get a date maybe this week. And um, we would hope to be traveling maybe end of August, early September. Um, so, you know, we're obviously super excited, aching, yearning, wanting her here, praying for her. Um, and Uganda's really unstable. So there's just, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of uncertainty, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which is kind of crazy because we're, you know, church planters and have three kids and our, our middle child will be adopted <laughs> from Africa. And we met this man named Justin Evans, who is a church planter who has three children and their middle child is adopted from Africa. And and so um, when, you know, in that, that six years that we were in Connecticut, God made it very clear. And I'm going to, you know, blog a little bit about it and maybe, you know, get a chance to share a little bit more about how God revealed to us that we were supposed to church plant, but very clear. And so we began to pray, okay, well, God, where are you leading us? And and what is this going to look like? Is it going to be here in Connecticut? Is it going to be somewhere else? Is it going to be overseas? We just want to be available and begin to pray and begin to network and just kind of put out feelers about what's happening and what's going on. And and through that, I, I connected with a guy, uh, Bob Rowley, who's the district superintendent uh, here in the Texas, Oklahoma district. And uh, Bob's son, Tim, is a friend of mine. And so I called Tim up and got connected with Bob and, and 
we began to talk about church planting and what's happening in the district and what's going on here and the passion for church planting and how this is the fastest growing area of the country in San Antonio into Austin and, and people are just coming here and there's a need uh, for churches. And so through that process, the EFCA uh, has um, this process that they put church planters through and do an assessment to make sure that it's a good fit and that, that they're um, willing to partner with us. And so we went through that and that's how we connected with Justin and he sat in on our, on our assessment and uh, we began to kind of talk and and um I didn't really think that, man, we would partner right away with the church plant and jump right into a church plant on residency. And I don't know if Justin initially thought, hey, this is what's going to happen. But we really began to sense that. And one day I was sitting in my office in Connecticut and I, I helped, and this is before Justin and I even had a phone conversation that I, I and I had met him, but, um, but I felt the spirit say, hey, I I want you to partner with Justin and, and what's happening there. And I didn't know, I was like, are you serious? Like what's going on? And, and I called him and, and he was feeling the same way. And, and so God led us here um, and we couldn't be more excited. And, and last week I was here, actually, I sat in the back corner and when I was here moving in all of our stuff and, and for the weekend to get things ready. And we brought the girls down this week. And, and uh, I, as I heard Justin share the vision for Stone Oak and he put the vision up about wanting to be a church that plants churches. And then he began to talk and you could just sense the the passion and I was here with one of my buddies from Connecticut who's going to come down and be a part of our core team as well and and we both like as we were driving away we were like man I, we're pumped like this is awesome to be a part of a church that has a vision to plant churches to plant churches to plant churches to reach this community to reach the city with the gospel and and that it's going to spread and and we're so excited to be a part of that because that is rare and and Justin said last week four percent of church plants plant and that you guys forbid to be a part of that statistic and Amen. and I don't want to be a part of that statistic either and there's alignment in this that we we want to plant churches and studies show and I'm sure you've talked a lot about this but studies show that the most effective way for the church to reach it, it, um, others with the gospel and evangelism is through church planting mm -hmm. and we want to be a part of that and we are eager to to get into neighborhoods and to love our neighbors to serve our neighbors with the gospel to go reach people that are unreached and yeah. and to go after the unchurched go after the de-churched, the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed. I mean, we're excited. And I'm, I'm blessed to have a wonderful partner who shares this vision with me and, and blessed to join a church that, that shares that vision. And, and honestly, people are like, hey, why San Antonio? And why here? And, and honestly, I, I really sense this is where the Lord has led us. I never would have imagined that. Matter of fact, our best friends, um, best my best friend since preschool, actually married her best friend in high school. They were in San Antonio for four years, um, and, and he was stationed in the Army. And literally the week after we found out, we uh, and they went to Northeast Bible Church. And the week after we found out we were coming to San Antonio, they moved and got transported to, to Kansas. And we were like, are you That's kidding me? And, you know, That's like, what's going on? But we are so excited to be here to partner with you all and, and eager. And... Um, yeah, absolutely. Church, you're going to love these guys. As you get to know them, as you can tell, they're ready, ready to go. And I love it. I want to ask you one more question. This is a hard one. What are you most excited about for the future? Honestly, and I don't want to get choked up, I, I'm excited because I know the Holy Spirit's doing something amazing. And I'm excited because we're available, and I'm excited because you are available. And 
that's, that gets me excited. You know, that mm-hmm. this is about what God is doing. This is not about us. This is not about Justin's agenda or Stone Oak's agenda, but this is about the Holy Spirit working. And when people are open and available to the Spirit of God and, and we're open to, to reaching people with the gospel and depending upon him, that gets me excited. And, and yeah. I, you know, we're, we're devoted and committed to the gospel and to Jesus Christ and to the, the power of him crucified and resurrected and the, the fact that the Holy Spirit is given to us and, and to move in us and through us and in this city and to see, uh, as Justin was talking about last week, a revival, that, that gets me excited. Awesome. Absolutely. I want us to pray for them. Before we do, I know that I, there's a good chance I just really opened up a can of questions in, in all of your minds, which is great. I said this last week. I will never shy away from having a conversation about church planning. So please find me. I would love it. But I, I know that there are three main questions that I wanted to speak to before we pray for them. How, when, and where? Okay, how, when, and where? Let's look at the how question. The question I get a lot is, how does a church plant plant? Are are you ready for that? Um, How are you going to bring on another full-time pastor in this this stage? So I just wanted to hit that question. It's a great question. Uh, It's a great question. The, The reality is that God has been very, very generous to our church. Uh, And I'm not talking about uh, specifically financially. I'm talking about you and the people that have come alongside of this church and have seen it grow. God has been so good and so generous. Mike is an EFCA, as we've talked a lot about EFCA, EFCA EFCA-funded planter. And so he's going to step on. And so financially, we get to step in and get the joy of going above and beyond for Mike. We get to go above and beyond. Um, And so our church is going to be able to step in. We're going to partner with the EFCA in this all throughout the way. They're the ones who connected us. And, and we are just going to walk through to see this new work happen. This new work happen. Um, we, uh, as he said, I've been a part of his journey up to this point through the assessments, the interviews, all of the fun stuff that you go through. And he, l- listen, I'll put it like this. God didn't bring us a planter. He brought us the planter. And I believe that. These guys are the right people. And God is in this. And so the answer to the how question, as cheesy this, as this sounds, is God. God has moved and provided a way. Let's look at the when. This is the fun one. So a new church, we believe, needs the time before it launches to grow and develop in order that it launches healthy. Uh, for us at Stone Oak Bible, that church, uh, we had about 15 months Before we had our first service, we were meeting for about 15 months, and all we were doing is praying, building teams, finding people, and and just bringing things together so that when we launched, we launched in a place where we're able to now launch another church. So that's the goal, is we want to launch well. Um, I've heard it said that we want to launch at a healthy baby weight, and and that's that's what we hope to do to provide for, for Mike. And so... 18 months is the time frame that we originally talked about, 18 months. Uh, And so over the 18 months, that would put us a tentative launch date for a new church in San Antonio, Texas, spring of 2017. Isn't that awesome? Spring of 2017. Uh, That being said, though, let me tell you something interesting. We want to launch when the time is right. Our original plan for Stone Oak Bible Church has us launching next week. 
Isn't that cool? We were supposed to launch next week. But God moved and we brought things together and it was right and everyone we sought for wisdom and counsel said, yes, this is right, and God moved. And so we were obedient to that. And so in this situation, we're gonna be praying, God, you know the right time and we wanna be able to hear that. And so that's, that's I guess, what you said. We're open and we're available. Uh, right now, though, our tentative plan is 18 months, so spring of, of 2017. Let's talk about the where. So Mike and Ariel, the family, they're going to live in, in our community for about six months. They have a six-month lease. And during that time, one, if you've never gone through the adoption process, it is grueling. And so a part of what they're going to do is, is be in prayer and getting through that. And so we need to rally around them through that. But two, they're also going to be praying about, God, where would you have us go in our city? They're, uh, they're going to be in prayer. We are going to be in prayer about where that could be. Where could this new church, what field needs manure? That's what we're going to be praying for. We have good manure here. And we're looking for a field that needs some fertilizing. Um, and so he's also going to be doing a lot of research, demographic research, to figure out wh- what area of our town needs the gospel the most. And so we're going to allow that to kind of guide where we go. Um, Mike, is there anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, we, as I, as I said, I mean, we're open and, and available and excited to learn yeah. about the needs and want to go where the needs are and, and are eager for that. So yeah, I'm, I think this is so great and yeah. really believe this is where God has led us. So the where question is, let's pray. How cool is it that we stand here and we get to pray, God, what would you have? And just dream. That's where we're at right now. So join us in praying. Uh, I want to do something special for you guys. Um, What I'd like to do is for you guys to come right here down to the center of the stage. And then church, if we could stand. And what I'd like to do is is for those of who are around, if you could come up and we're just going to surround these guys. And I just want to pray for him. This is, a, uh, this is a big moment. And we want to pray God's hand in it from the beginning. I want us to pray for not only the new work to be done, but also for the adoption. And that God would just have his hand in this from the moment he begins to spring of 2017 when we see a a new church launch to bring him glory. So would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for what you're doing here. God, thank you for bringing Mike and Ariel. Thank you for their hearts, their passion, their excitement. God, thank you for bringing them here. God, we stand together and we ask that you guide our steps. We ask that you give us a view of your kingdom, not our own. And that we get to be a part of a movement in our city where lives are turned to you. Jesus, where you're made known in our city. God, help this to be ordained from the beginning by you. That your hand is on this, that you open doors, that you close doors, that you provide opportunities, that you lead, that you guide from the moment we, we step foot to the moment this church launches and then beyond. That we can continue to bring you glory in, in everything that we do. And God, we do lift up them as a family. 
We pray for Mike and Ariel. We pray for the adoption process. We pray for the, the transition. San Antonio is so different from Connecticut. And we pray for that transition, for the family, for them, um, getting used to the heat, all of that, that you would just guide us, guide them, bring your peace in, in those nights of, of wandering and provide confidence, boldness as they are about your work for your glory. And God, throughout this whole process, I pray that you draw them closer to you as a family and as, as individuals, that you draw them closer to you. And for all of this, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.